Welcome to Nibble Scotland podcast and today we're with Kenny McLaughlin from their Atonish estate on Loch Allen. This is such a special place on the west coast of Scotland with the imposing Victorian country house standing at the head of the loch which has a perfect balance of country living and with strong links to the surrounding community. So thank you for my coffee Kenny and I'd just love to hear a wee bit from you about the background and history of the estate and how you got involved. Okay the estate um Going right back, Octavius Smith in 1856, he started um, to build our Tornish house. He built the majority of it, his son inherited it, knocked down part of what had been built and then rebuilt the, the house as you see it now. It was then passed down to the sister and her son and eventually the Raven family, who currently own it, purchased it in 1930 um, and they've owned it since. Mrs Raven took it over in 1967 and she immediately put it into trust for her five children um, and that's as it stands today. Um, so it's now run by a board of directors um, overseen by the five children still. Okay. As it were. So it's very much a family family business and everybody's involved. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, Hugh Raven is the CEO of yeah. the, the business. He's not a, a stay-away landlord. He lives on the estate yeah. and has done for uh, a good few decades now. Great. So the background, so this, a house like this would have catered for loads of staff and the community, I'd imagine, in the, in the town. Certainly back in the day, um, the house... As you drive up towards our Tornish, on the street, the main road, just mm -hmm. as you come in, you'll see Larich Beg, mm -hmm. which is a row of houses on the right-hand side. Yeah. And it just gives you a bit of scale. The six houses there, and the building just before you reach those six houses, mm -hmm. that was the laundry. For, really? That was the laundry for the house, and that was the, that was the, the houses for the people that worked well, in the laundry uh -huh. back in the day. Um, which gives you a, a bit of an idea of the, the scale of what it was. Uh-huh. Thing. My gosh. So, in terms of numbers of people, would you know like the numbers of people who were working on the estate in those days? Or? Yeah, um, it would have been, prior to the war, including the farm, it would have been around about 30, circa 30, 35 okay. people that would have been employed by the staff. Uh, How by many acres and things does it cover? 35,000. Wow. 35,000 acres, yeah. Wow. Um, now, you, what I love about coming to Artonish is the amount of homegrown produce that we can get when we actually arrive here and you've developed a great, the great kitchen garden. But I know that's been quite a relatively new thing. So what, why did you go out and back in? And it's, it's new as in we reinstated it mm. about four years ago. Okay. It has been on the go since pre-World War I. Mm -hmm. There was a dozen gardeners employed by the estate. That would be for the kitchen gardens, and the house gardens. It, it was maintained um, throughout the war and thereafter, and it was only really, maybe 2010, that it was allowed to go into, I don't want to say disappear, it, was, it went out of use uh -huh. right about then. Um, and the estate felt, maybe five, six years ago, they started to look and say, how can we get it back? as part of the estate, from an aesthetic point of view, but also people want to have locally grown produce that they can use. Um, 
we've got up to 100 guests staying on this day and it's ideal for them to be able to come buy their own, buy our meat um, that's farmed on the estate as well as the, the fruit and veg. And what are the big veg, I mean I had a great wander around the other day but what's the, what's the key crops, do you know, just now or? Well it's, what we, do, we do a lot, um, I mean we're, it's the area, hardy root vegetables mm-hmm. grow very well, yeah. potatoes, turnips, onions, leeks, um, brassicas grow very well. We've had an issue with carrots for some reason, <laughs> but they grow, but they don't grow the way you'd imagine carrots would be in a supermarket yeah, yeah. that are seven, eight inches long. They, they're, they're kind of like kind of small restaurant carrots, so that's maybe one of the issues. Well, that's perfect got. for the, the local restaurants. <laughs> yes, yes, well, I suppose. There's, um, I mean, the size of the kitchen garden as it is now, I mean, it's got four enormous polytunnels, uh-huh. which makes a big difference. You can grow yeah. almost anything as long as you take the time and the effort and put the, uh-huh. the care into it. And so you've, you've st- struck upon the farm and the, the that you have and the meat and vegetables, the yes. meat that you have on the farm and you've, so just coming through, we're moving cows to different fields just now. So yeah. what is the size of the farm in terms of cattle? Is it mainly, what type of cattle is it? It's cross, um, it was originally Highlander cattle. Uh-huh. Um, and we still have the original herd down towards Loch Arenas, okay. smaller now, but they've been crossed with um, Shorthorn, Aberdeen Angus, uh-huh. um, and they've been crossed and crossed again. Right, okay. And that's obviously from a, a commercial point of view. Uh-huh. Much as the Highland cattle look fantastic and it's almost a tourist tick box, mm. the actual farmers and the, the producers don't necessarily like that as much. There's a lot more work involved just handling them because of the horns, the amount of hair that they have. They don't produce as much meat. Okay. Um, so they are be- beautiful to look at. Um, but yeah, we don't farm them as much. Um, we've got a lot of black-faced sheep. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's for the size of ground, we've got two farms now. We've got the organic farm down at Old Antonish Castle. Okay. We've just got a, a regular farm in the rest of the grounds. Uh-huh. And there are only three guys that are working it primarily. Uh-huh. So they've got a lot of ground to cover uh-huh. and a lot of animals to take care of. And is there quite a um, uh, special characteristic to any of the beef or the, in the taste sense? Or? Um, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I couldn't profess to say that. We <laughs> enjoy <laughs> So, but the challenges we've now got, we've had a quite an interesting week in terms of po- on the political landscape uh, with Brexit happening and everything, but I'm sure that a lot of Scottish farmers are starting to prepare to what, what, how are things going to change, what do we need to put in place, is there anything special? I mean, being quite remote, I'd be... How the, one of the biggest challenges are going to be, um, having spoke with the, the farmers, um, farm manager, the biggest worry, and it'll be the same for most businesses, whether it be yeah. farms or any other business at the moment, farming in, in Scotland and the UK obviously is heavily, heavily subsidised. Mm-hmm. That subsidy is currently in limbo. You don't, we don't know what we're going to get moving forward. Yeah. Farming in Scotland, I would say, in rural farms, without that subsidy, an awful lot of farms wouldn't be in business. So that's the, the biggest concern. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to Brexit, I mean, we've got things in place, we're constantly reviewing our, our systems, you're trying to constantly reduce costs, mm-hmm. 
pre-Brexit, yeah. so that you're in a better place post-Brexit. Um, and that's from land management, from managing the, the grasslands, um, to ensure that feeding is kept, the cost of feeding is kept a minimum. We're not having mm-hmm. to constantly buying in more feed during the winter months. Um, we can produce enough silos to kind of last throughout those months. So that would be one of the bigger challenges. Yeah, it's always, it's always the issue with the, getting the silage and with the different weather and the climates. It's, I know in Ireland we have um, quite a lot of rain in the last couple of years during the summer months, which has put heat to cutting the silage yeah, at the time yeah. and things like that, so it's been an issue. I've been most sort of impressed by the hydro plant, which is coming to our tonish. Can you explain to us like how... What, what was the initiative and the decision to get that going again? And The hydros have been, I mean, honestly, synonymous with our tonnage. Mm-hmm. Going back to the 40s, I would say, the first hydro, which is still, you can you can see the dam is still up at Craig Bay, up okay. the hill. Um, that powered most of the building we're in just now, that provided electricity for the Akranic buildings. The, the State Yard, Hillside, Craigvay, Riverside Houses. So that's, that's always been here. Um, then the Rannoch River Hydro was in the 80s, which was one that first started to kind of make money for the estate. And then the board, along with Angus Robertson at the time, Factor, um, decided to look into hydros as a more of a sustainable commercial entity. Mm. So we currently have five okay. hydros. Um, everything that we make, we sell directly to the grid. Okay. We don't currently have in place uh, where we power our own buildings. As oh, such. Really? Although it is something we yeah. could look at in the future, uh-huh. but it would involve an awful lot of rewiring. Yeah. Like. Um, so yeah, everything's sold off. And it makes probably... About 80% of the revenue that the estate generates wow. comes through hydros. Wow. That's so really significant. Very significant. <laughs> very significant when you have, the likes of this year, we've had three months of very, very dry weather. Mm-hmm. Two months that the hydros didn't turn. Really? They pretty much, I think four out of the five of them didn't turn for two months. Wow. And when you put plans in place and you put budgets in place, for the entire estate, uh-huh. that has a significant that does impact, affect, so. and it's a rolling effect that it has because it that that that's gone. We can't uh-huh. make that back because the money we're going to make off the hydros in the coming months that's already in your plans anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, the climate changes aren't starting to affect possibly. West Coast of Scotland, yeah, possibly, and starting to hit in different ways you hadn't sort of thought about the. Back to the produce and things that you sell, the, the cases, do you, the size of the market, is it really just predominantly, predominantly people staying within the estate or are you putting it out to local restaurants? And yep, some goes to local restaurants, some of the, the fruit and veg and the lamb, beef, venison. Um, where obviously, predominantly it's people that are on the estate, guests visiting the estate and locals okay. in the wider area of Morven. Uh-huh. Um, because of the size of the business that we have, everything, all of our beef, venison, and lamb, it's all taken from the estate over to the abattoir and mull and brought back to here. So the food mileage is very minimal, mm-hmm. but it's then all frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't sell it by 
post or okay. anything just because of the nature of how it's packaged. We don't have that in place yet. It's not that maybe it's something that we could look at moving forward. Uh-huh. Um, and it certainly has grown. We probably doubled the quantity that we're selling really? in the last two years. Um, okay. Is that people's more awareness about buying local and their carbon be, Yeah, it'll be locals' awareness, but also sound too commercial, but marketing makes uh-huh. a big difference. So making, it's not even selling it to guests. It's making guests aware. Telling them that you, <laughs> that you have to, it. To purchase. Yeah. And, and people coming to the kind of remote highlands in Scotland to buy venison uh-huh. that's come off of the estate that they're staying on. Uh-huh. It ticks boxes for people. It does a lot. Yes. No, it's very good. The, is there any interesting places where you've heard of your venison or beef or veg being up, up the top of Ben Nevis or... I couldn't say up the top of it, but certainly going up to the, the bothies that we have on the estate, it's something that people will buy when they're going to stay, kind of fend for themselves if you like, yeah. apart from the, the diced venison that they're taking or the diced beef that they're taking up there to ensure that they've got a, a casserole, they're maybe going to go up there and, and spend a couple of nights fishing up at the one of their kind of remote locks okay. and fend for themselves, but they'll take a backup of diced beef or diced venison along with them or a couple of steaks. Just to make sure that they've got something. That's not a bad, a bad backup Absolutely. plan. <laughs> I could have that with a little bit some salad on the side. Getting the community involved into the estate um, is quite key, and I think people are more interested, and I think young families are more interested in doing their bit to help and learn about the growing of the vegetables and how the farms operate. What sort of initiatives do you do? We had we had started to do. No, not. I would, I would say workshops, almost. Mm-hmm. We'd, only, we'd only just started it this season, um, whereby the first workshop was basically showing you how to prepare the ground, the seeds, how to bring them on. Um, that was going to be then followed up with a second workshop of mm-hmm. sowing, when to sow, how to sow, how they were then going to be nurtured and, and fed moving forward. And then followed up by a final one for harvesting. Again, when to harvest, how to harvest. It's not just... Mm-hmm. someone like myself just going in and chopping something down at the base when it's supposed to be done in a very specific way um, and that's something that we're looking to to carry on and to kind of grow regarding the local community because this is something we've done for guests to allow mm-hmm. guests the opportunity to go up and take their children up certainly when they're up here staying for a week they can go up and it's a beautiful surrounding up at the kitchen garden up at the wall gardens so to take their kids up there but the local community it's certainly something that we have discussed we haven't implemented yet to try and involve the schools primarily. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of the adults that will grow their own veg. Where we are, people do are grow their own veg. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's getting the kids involved and in, in kind of giving them that education uh-huh. moving forward. So that's something that we're certainly looking at at present. Okay. Um, is there something that we could sort of say it would be a great starter pack for people to do, have at their home? If they have a little kitchen garden or anything, a box, what would be the three veg that you'd like to see? Personally, Personally. I'm a bit old-fashioned, but I like your kind of staples of carrots, onions, celery, potatoes. Um, that's and they're, they're all relatively easy grown in these areas, uh-huh. as opposed to, well, with the exception of the carrots, as I mentioned. <laughs> um, so what's the sort of development you'd like to see happen in Artonish over the next 10 years? 
we will look to carry on increasing visitor numbers, mm-hmm. um, which has grown vastly. The tourism has grown, and it may be something to do with, as you discussed earlier, Brexit. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are maybe not as keen to go abroad just at this moment in time, but we have been very busy this year. Bookings for next year are already incredibly busy. Um, the building we're in needs to be redeveloped. Our Tornish house needs to have a lot of work done to bring it back to the condition it was in 40, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of project, I mean, the size of our Tornish house, these are huge yeah. work to take on. As soon as you finish, you'll be starting again. Absolutely. <laughs> the, fourth, the fourth wheel bridge yeah. kind of discussion, yes. Yeah. So you've been in the estate for six years working away um, in the tourism sort of role of it. I've been a couple of years and I've been on the estate for six years. Okay. Came up with my, my wife, we come over from Mount Stewart in the Butte. Oh, beautiful. Been, Another beautiful setting. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, slightly different. Um, this our Taurus and I would say is much more of a working country estate. Uh-huh. Beautiful as Mount Stewart is, it's a spectacular building, but it's a different feel to it when you're living and working there. Uh-huh. Um, this is very much your hands-on, and one day to the next day your job will change dramatically. Yeah, you've got to cover up Jack of all trades. Absolutely, right. yes. So if you didn't do this, what would you be doing? Oh, um, what would I be doing? What I would like to be doing, I would love to have worked in one of the distilleries. Really? Yeah, I've got quite a passion for collecting malt whiskies, um, reading about it, and I find it fascinating. It's such a simple process, but it changes so dramatically uh-huh. from one distillery, from one bottle to the next bottle. Um, that's what I would probably have, yeah, I would like to have done that had I had the opportunity. And there are distilleries close by, but saying that, I wouldn't give this up. This is it's one of these when people come. It's all it's all it's a strange one because guests probably come and almost appreciate this area more than we do yeah, ourselves yeah. because you're here all the time and you're working all the time. That when you do just take a step back and just have a look around and think, this is what we've got. And I, when I get my day off, this is this is where I. Well, I remember I was speaking to you on the phone. And you went, "Oh, I see the otters every day." And like, yeah. my daughter's yeah. craving to find the otter. <laughs> like, oh, you have to get out your bed. Kenny, thank you very much for your time. I think we'll do a couple of quick fire questions in a second, um, but thanks for your input. No problem. Okay, so Kenny, your quick fire round of questions. What did you want to be when you were very little? Football player. <laughs> for what team? Glasgow Rangers. Oh, fair play. What's so special about the place that you grew up in? Stirling, Stirling's a beautiful place. It's, uh, there's a lot of history. Um, it's central to everything. You can get to Glasgow, Edinburgh, the Highlands oh. within a heartbeat. Who's impressed you most by what they have accomplished? David Murray. Back in the day. The, the, what he went through to then go in and accomplish what he did. Mm-hmm. Although he did then let us down quite badly. You love <laughs> David Murray. <laughs> What's worth spending more on so you get the best? Malt whiskey. What trend do you hope comes back? Oh, I was going to say 1980s music, but it's not. Really I think that's back. <laughs> I don't think that's gone. It was so good. <laughs> what were What are you most looking forward to in the next coming months? 
I'm going on holiday in seven hours time. So Lanzarote, <laughs> I'm most looking forward to. What makes a good life? Um, family and being content with what you've got. What, who is your go-to band or artist when you can't decide on something to play? The Jam. Who inspires you to do better? Probably my dad. What's your favourite drink? Malt whiskey. <laughs> What's your claim to fame? Keep you up a champion for Scotland in 1982. Ooh, now there's a secret. I bet not many people know there. <laughs> what job are you terrible at? Or would you be terrible at? Um, I'm not good with filing things and I'm more hands-on and very personable and the paperwork side of it is not my forte. Okay. Mm. And what do you hope never changes? I don't know how to answer that one. Okay. What's the best way to start your day? Well, a good strong cup of coffee. Okay. What's your pet's name? Bracken and Sweep. What are they? Clumber Spaniels. Okay. What was your first car? Oh, a Fiat Panda. <laughs> Colour? White. What's your favourite kids film? The Goonies. The best farmer's market? No, couldn't tell you the best one. Your favourite Scottish beach? Lost Tyre. And, well, how old is your pet? Um, Sweep is seven and Bracken is just over three. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you.